When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles. Today, I am joined by my friend, Sports Info Solutions, Nathan Cooper. Howdy, howdy. Hey, Joe. Welcome how's it going? Back. Hey, Good. Joe. How's it going? Yeah. Appreciate you having me again. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't do a post-draft episode without having you back on, so. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We're always always good talking about the draft, whether it's before the draft or after the draft, so I'm good with it. Uh, and so last time we talked, uh, you guys were a couple days away from Sports Info Solutions dropping your guys' draft hub. Uh, for those listening, if you do not already know about it, uh, Sports Info Solutions has a draft hub that I have basically been, I have it bookmarked. I have your guys' team pages bookmarked. I have the homepage bookmarked. And then I have the actual, uh, I actually have Drake Jackson bookmarked just because I was reading Drake Jackson when I first thought, you know, I should bookmark this. Uh, incidentally, this is, you know, neither here nor there now, but the Broncos try to trade up for Drake Jackson. Uh, so it's almost like destiny, but. They didn't get him. They ended up with Nick Benito. We'll get to that. But uh, those of you listening, we have reached the point in the offseason where it's kind of like stacking, you know, the AFC, looking at what every team has done, looking at, you know, the acquisitions and kind of like checking up on teams, what they did last year, kind of how things are changing. Sports of Resolution, your guys' draft hub, not only is it good for the actual scouting reports, and those are fantastic. But the NFL team pages with like the breakdowns of like how often the Rams used uh, dime personnel since the Broncos hired a zero Avero, that's very useful, I think, because it gives you kind of a hint of 
what the Broncos are probably moving towards. Uh, same with like, if you want to find out how often the Broncos will probably use 12 personnel this year, you can actually look on the draft hub and go into the Packers page and see what the Packers did last year. So I recommend it. Uh, honestly, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, throughout the draft, I referenced it a ton. Um, so fantastic job. I, I I know I told you this last year after you guys's after the draft with the rookie handbook. I love this. Uh, I'm really glad you guys did it. I love how in-depth it is. Um, I love the way you guys do grading. Uh, we'll probably talk about this a little bit more. But just overall, guys, I can't recommend it enough. So I hope you guys go check it out. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, obviously, the biggest thing with taking the book online is the fact that you you're unlimited in terms of space. You can you can make it as as big as you want. You can go a little bit more in depth. Obviously, we were very constricted with with word counts and things like that. Uh, whenever you're talking about a a hard uh, copy of a book, um, and we were able to expand on that a little bit this year. And then you, we all everything that you. Uh, saw in the handbook is basically in this website. It's just bigger and better. It's, you know, everything in terms, like you said, the team pages, you have all of that data in there. Now we have an interactive depth chart essentially. So you can go in and, and check that out. It has all of, all of your additions and, and uh, guys that, that the team lost and all the draft orders and things like that. It's just a lot of really cool data. Um, and the best part is it's continually updating. Like we're going in every single day, uh, making changes, making enhancements, and updates and um, obviously any new website's going to go through all that stuff but uh, you know just you know being able to see the, the book in website form I think is really cool uh, and just kind of taking it to the next level uh, the other thing I want to add just before I actually start picking your brain uh, and I always do this I, I kind of like space out on this guys if you do not follow Nathan on Twitter go do it he is at ncoop draft pretty easy to remember ncoop draft so go do that uh, and when you come back, we're, we're going to be talking some Broncos draft. Um, the big thing I really wanted to talk to you about, because I'm a Broncos fan, obviously, and I, I assume most of the people listening are Broncos fans. I, I like to kind of check my bias. And, and one of the things that I really love about talking with you, and one of the things I love about having like people on cover two Broncos in general, is I like having people on that are not necessarily Broncos fans to tell me like, what did you think of the Broncos offseason? How does that compare to because every team was adding talent this offseason? It, it's not it's not a static thing. And I think most teams fans kind of get in this like they hyper focus on their team and you kind of like lose focus of the fact that everyone is doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I want to go over the Broncos draft. I want to go over the Broncos offseason, but kind of with the backdrop of where do they actually stack up at the end of this all? Um, I think we both probably agree and again if if i'm i don't want to speak for you and you know be wrong here but i'd like to think that you probably agree that the russell wilson trade was pretty good uh i personally think that the broncos stole russell wilson from the seahawks i know they traded eight players and picks uh drew lock shelby harris noah fant they traded a 2022 first second and then a fifth and then a 2023 first and second but they received uh Russell Wilson, obviously. And then he also received a fourth round pick back. Um, what do you think of it? Like, did they give up too much? Was it a good trick? You know, where, where do you land on it? Yeah. I mean, whenever you're talking about trading for quarterbacks, you almost have to do whatever it takes to, to go get these guys. Um, the biggest thing, whenever you're talking about trading for these guys, you know, 
you're going to have to give up a lot. If you're going for a franchise quarterback, you're going to give up a lot because you're basically taking a franchise quarterback from the other team. Um, and they're going to want a lot in return. So whenever you're talking about that, you're going to have to give up a lot of stuff. It, you know, it was a lot of picks. There were some players involved, which, you know, no offense been pretty good. Shelby Harris has been pretty good. You know, we've talked about Drew Locke the last couple of years. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, you're getting Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has been, you know, a top quarterback in the league for a while now. And I think you have to just, you have to pull the trigger. And in terms of, you know, talking about Denver, specifically, Denver is a team who we've felt probably is, is a quarterback away the last couple of years. Um, so whenever you're talking about a team who has been a quarterback away, they have a good, you know, roster outside of them. Um, I think now's the time you just have to pull the trigger and it, it made sense. So from there, cause that, that was back in March and I know you and I touched on this a little bit free draft, but that was back in March and it kind of, to me, it really changed the window. Uh, cause obviously the Broncos went from. Maybe if a couple things break right, we might make the playoffs in the AFC. All of a sudden, you land Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's going to turn 34 in November. He's the oldest quarterback in the AFC West. So, like, the Super Bowl window is now. Like, th there's no, you know, if ands, or buts here. Uh, it kind of opened the window, and kind of like the expectation at this point in Broncos country is playoffs. So, kind of, to me, every other move they made in this offseason really kind of, like, happened with that as the backdrop. Are they getting closer or farther? Like, are they doing enough to be made? Sorry. Are they doing enough to make the moves to start to get closer to that Super Bowl in the AFC? Because the thing is, the Chiefs aren't going anywhere. Yes, they traded Tyreek Hill, but they did stuff. The Chargers had a ton of cap room because Justin Herbert's still on a rookie contract. And even the Raiders, like, I kept waiting for Josh McDaniels to, you know, do something stupid and, you know, trade Derek Carr or punt on, you know, punt on the roster he had. And it didn't happen. So even in the AFC West, it was kind of an arms race, uh, but the Broncos were quite active in free agency. They signed a lot of players to one-year deals, but the big moves were Randy Gregory, DJ Jones, Kwan Williams, and then, yeah, Melvin Gordon, Kareem Jackson, Billy Turner, Calvin Anderson, Tom Compton, Alex Singleton, Eric Saubert, Lasan Austin, and Deshaun Williams were the one-year contracts. Uh, are there any of those signings really jump out at you as like moves you really liked? Yeah, I mean... First, like when we talk about Billy Turner, it, we talked a lot about the right tackle position the last couple of years. Um, I, I think it's a really good pickup. Obviously, for one, he's he's an upgrade over Anderson, I think, and, and really anybody else they have on that roster, um, you know, for the right tackle spot. Uh, I, you know, he fits the system. He's he's pretty familiar with uh, with Hackett, so I don't see much of a learning curve or anything with him as well. Um, so I like what what he's going to bring uh, to the right tackle position. I think he's a little bit a little bit more stable than um, you know rotating through the guys that that have rotated through the last couple of years. Um, Bless Juan Austin is is an interesting guy. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna plug a little bit of a, an article I had I just finished working on that I, is going to be coming out next week, but. He's a guy that I think was a big positive in that 2019 draft class. Um, you look at, you know, they only had six picks, but, you know, two of them, Quinn and Williams, obviously the big, the big first round pick. And then Austin um, were the two guys who were above the average uh, for their class uh, when it comes to the positions and in, in total points. 
Um, obviously, you know, Quinn Williams at the very top and then Austin was their last pick in the sixth round. Um, so not a guy that is probably going to come in and be a full-time player for an entire season, but I'm comfortable playing him, you know, 60, 70% of the snaps, working him in on special teams, uh, and kind of moving him around a little bit, especially with the corner situation, um, with the injuries and stuff that have kind of piled up the last couple of years. So I think it's a, it's a definitely, a, um, a smart move. And, and I think it could be kind of a, um, a low risk, uh, you know, high reward kind of play. And those are the kind of moves I really like with these one-year deals. Uh, I know for fans, fans kind of get stuck on, you know, the Randy Gregory move or like Melvin Gordon coming back. And we're going to probably touch on this because I think you and I are probably in a similar boat on Melvin Gordon, but, but one-year deals, one of the things I really like about them is what you just said. A lot of times it is a, a low risk, high reward type move because a lot of times these free agents are, they hit free agency, whether they were cut for some reason or whether their contracts ran out. And the market just isn't really what they expected or what they wanted. So what they do is a lot of times they're signing a one-year contract to try and prove themselves and like help their market the next year. The thing with Austin is the opportunity could be there. Uh, as you alluded to, the Broncos cornerback situation, and again, I don't expect Patrick Sertan to have a lot of injury issues. You know, you never know, but, but he did land on IR last year at the very end. Ronald Darby has only been healthy one season. Uh, every other season he has played, he has gotten hurt at some point. Kwan Williams, it's a similar story. Michael Ojemudia got hurt last year, and before that, the year prior, he got benched. So while I know a lot of Bronco fans still really believe in him, I don't think you can count on him to, you know, a defensive coordinator later. Uh, same with Essang Bassey. And then after that, you're looking at rookies. And so I think Austin could be a surprise guy. Uh are there any moves that you don't like or are that give you pause? I don't want to say don't like just because they probably make sense. Although again, if you straight up don't like them, let me know. Um, Cause for me, and again, you, my, you and me might disagree on this. I was pretty kind of lukewarm on the Randy Gregory move. Not because, not because of the PD or not the PD, not because of, the suspension stuff, because I don't think that's necessarily a big deal, but he's had injuries. And he, he even now he, he entered uh, the pre-draft mini camp for the Broncos and his arms in a sling. And I understand it. Like, you know, it happens. It's the off season, but it is a concern because Bradley Chubb has also had a lot of injury issues and granted they, they, and we'll get, we'll get to Nick Benito, but I don't necessarily like your big ticket, both your big ticket edge rushers, having some pretty significant durability questions just because there's a decent chance both of them miss a game together. And all of a sudden you're looking at Nick Benito and what the Broncos had last year. Yeah, I I'm with you. I, you know, two guys that, you know, on that list that I'm probably pausing a little bit are Randy Gregory and Melvin Gordon. So a couple of uh, the things that you just mentioned there. So Randy Gregory is kind of that risk reward type of guy. They, obviously he's got all the talent in the world. Um, hasn't really put it all together, uh, which, you know, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, obviously. But arguably, he's coming off of a career year last year, which was 20 tackles, six sacks, and 43 pressures, which is okay, but not for a guy who just signed five years, $70 million. Um, so if you look at the last four years, he's only averaged nine games a year, like you mentioned. Um, and you can you can say 12 if, if you don't include 2019 where he didn't play. Um, so that's a lot, of in, a lot of money invested in, in a guy who – really hasn't played a ton. Um, and you're looking at a career year of, of six sacks uh, for a $70 million guy, which 
you know, that's it's probably not not where you want it to be. Um, so a little bit of pause there. Obviously, again, risk reward guy. If he comes out and, and kind of hits every uh, every box that you're hoping that he can hit. I mean, the only the only question with that is you've been hoping that he could hit that for the last five years now. So um, the question is, you know, can he actually do it at this stage of his career? Obviously, you know, up for debate. Um, and then Melvin Gordon. So I want to preface by saying like, I don't hate the Gordon signing. I know we've talked about Melvin Gordon the last couple of years quite a bit. Uh, I just have some questions about maybe the usage and what they thought about the draft as well. Obviously, they signed him right before the draft. So signing him almost said that they weren't going to draft a, a running back. Yep. Um, so in that case, you know, I thought there was a lot of good talent at the running back position in this class. Um, you know, if you look at that, you know, you, you, at this point you're saying, all right, we're signing Melvin Gordon. We're not going to take a running back. You know, there's holes to be filled. And I think they did a pretty good job taking, you know, the, the positions that they needed to take. Um, but the other thing too, is it seems like there's reports out that they're going to split carries with Javante Williams again. And if if this is me, I think it needs to be more of like a 75-25 with Williams getting the the lion's share of the carries if you want Williams to really take that next step in his development. Um, if you're coming out and, and really splitting the carries kind of how he did last year, it's going to be tough for Williams to really take that next step. And we've already talked about Williams, you know, having a few issues. And I, and I think that comes from, you know, lack of experience. Um, so I think taking a, a little bit more of the share and giving it to him, I think is a positive. Um, so again, I don't hate the decision. You know, it's, it's very hard to find a running back room with a guy like Javante Williams and a guy like, you know, Melvin Gordon, both in that, in, in the same room, you can do a lot worse than that. Um, I just think it's a little puzzling giving the running back, given the running back class that, just came out in the draft and the supposed usage, um, you know, for this next season. I agree. And the the other big question I have with Melvin Gordon, and maybe because it's a one year deal, it's not so bad. But Melvin Gordon, uh, he's he's had fifteen hundred and three career touches, and I was looking at a study about a month or so ago, and honestly, I've kind of had it saved and just have kind of you know referenced it running backs tend to kind of hit that age wall right around 1500 carries. Melvin Gordon has now surpassed that. And again, on a one-year deal, I don't hate the risk, but there is a decent chance over the course of this season, he starts to show signs of that age kind of hitting. And granted, he has a well-rounded skill set. So even if he's maybe not as productive of a runner, if he can pass protect, serve as an outlet receiver, it's probably fine. But if, like you said, if they're giving... The, the timeshare 50 50 like that. And he is showing like a significant decline. I don't like that. Uh, especially because yeah. they traded up for Javante Williams. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously we talked about Williams. He, he's a good running back. I think he's, he does a, a lot of the stuff that you want to do. He does, he does everything. He can, he can run pass protect. He can catch out of the backfield. Um, but like we talked about before, he just he needs to get more reps. And I think he's one of those backs that he has the ability and the skill set to do everything. So you need to get him out there and do it, especially early on. We you just mentioned it running backs. They, they start to deteriorate a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit quicker than a lot of other positions. So, you know, I think getting him out there for the majority of the snaps again, Melvin Gordon is going to be a, he's a really good running back, but just mix him in a little bit um, instead of, you know, letting him get the, the complete 50, 50 share, um, let him do what he does best and sort of limit the tread 
um, since he's already got a lot of tread on the tires, you know, limit his his usage a little bit this year and get that uh, a little bit more towards Williams because on the one year deal, you're probably not going to bring Gordon back again uh, next year. So, you know, it's probably, you know, probably makes some sense to to sort of get the uh, the ball moving in the other direction. And one more part of this before we kind of move to the draft, because you did touch on the fact that you like this running back class. I did too. Um, and the Broncos had already paid Mike Boone last year. So if they had wanted, in my mind, uh, in terms of roster construction, like from a philosophical standpoint, I don't necessarily like the idea of having two guys on expiring contracts. Both of them are free agents. Both of them are pretty expensive for a backup and a third string running back. When the Broncos, I, I don't want to say they have cap problems because they don't really have cap problems, but they don't have a cheap roster anymore. Like they're at a point now where you have to kind of be aware of every single time you're making a big move like this, especially when so many of these guys are on one year deals, there's no way to spread out these cap hits. Like all this stuff is pushed into 2022. So having Melvin Gordon on a one year deal and then Mike Boone, I want to say Mike Boone is costing 2.3 million or something like that against the cap. And he's an RB three last year. I want to say he played on offense in one game and granted part of that's an injury stuff, but like, why did you sign him to a deal where he's making two plus million dollars? to not actually even see the field on offense. Like I get, he's a special team or two, but you don't normally pay a special team or $2 million. I, I, so I, in terms of that, I just, I do have some question about it again. It's not the worst thing in the world to have a good running back room, but I just think that there was better ways to use that cap space. Yeah. I think it would have made sense. Like I'm not saying go out and use your second or third round pick on a running back, but I yeah. think there was a lot of talent, you know, late in the draft, especially with how many picks they had. Um, you know, I think getting one of those, those running backs would have made some sense. Agreed. Uh, so since we're talking draft, uh, I, I want to touch on this. And again, I, I have been kind of lamb lambasted as the like critic of this draft from, from Broncos country, because, uh, when we, I was required to give it a grade, I gave it a C and again, a C to me is not bad draft. A C is an average draft, but in, in terms of like the way draft grades work in, you know, the NFL community, it's like, everybody gets a B. Like if you showed up, you get a B unless you're the Patriots. And yeah. And, but to me, it's, I looked at, and again, part of it was like keeping up with like how you guys rated them looking at the, uh, the athletic has a top 300 consensus board where they compiled 80 different like draft analyst boards. And you look at the Broncos draft and it looks like after the third round, basically every single one of their picks was a reach compared to the consensus board. And a lot of those players also looked like there was better players available according to the SIS board. Uh, and I looked at the SIS grading system before, you know, I, before I had you on the Broncos did not grab a single player who came in above a 6.6 grade. Does that, is that normal considering the fact that the Broncos also didn't pick until 64? Yes. Uh, I mean, we only graded 40 guys at six, seven or higher. So when you're talking about a six, seven, you're talking about a solid, you know, three down starter and there's only 40 of them. So you're expecting, you know, 40 guys to probably be gone before pick 64. Um, and when you look at, at how the draft kind of shook out, six of those guys in five, if, if we're not including Justin Ross, um, graded six, seven or higher were around past 64. Um, so you look at that. Yeah, there's a couple of guys. It kind of depends, you know, obviously the fit uh, and everything there and depending on who who you already drafted at 64. Um but ideally, you know, you're not going to have a lot of that talent 
falling. So you, you, I think there was a lot of different people that that came out and talked like, hey, this team has 14 or 15 first round grades this year, 15 or 16, you know, going into it. And obviously, if they only have 14 or 15 first rounders, probably not a ton of second round grades either. So you got to think that whenever you're at the very end of round two, you probably are going to have to take a guy who maybe has a second round grade, but maybe, you know, is more in the third round grade because all those first and second round grades are gone. Um, but as I mentioned before, the meat of this draft was on day two and early day three. So while there were 40 guys who are, are six, seven and higher, which are probably first rounders, maybe leak into the second round a little bit. There was a lot of good low end starting talent that was going to go off the board on day two and early day three, which is six, five and six, six. Um, so yeah, obviously there's, there's a, a couple of those guys, you know, Bonito and Dulcich fit that mold. Um, you know, maybe, you know, ideally they, they could have come out with a, a couple more of those guys, given how many there were. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was reasonable to expect something more than that, especially whenever your first pick was at 64. That makes sense. Uh, sorry. Looking at Nick Benito, um, because Nick Benito was their first pick um, at 64. The one thing that I... I like Nick Bodino, uh, based on, you know, both his reports and then what I've seen on tape. I, I, I think he has the tools to be a good speed rusher. I agree with the report, uh, your guys' report. And again, I don't want to spoil everything. So guys go check it. Uh, but I agree that he has the tools to be a, a quality designated pass rusher early. I, and again, with the Broncos con injury concerns ahead of him on the depth chart, I do have concerns if he's forced into playing time, like significant playing time early, which is a possibility. Um, and I think the Broncos probably had a similar concern, which is there's been a lot of smoke that the Broncos tried to trade up for Drake Jackson. Uh, and then obviously it didn't happen. And then once that didn't happen, there has been some talk that they also tried to trade down from 64. So to me, it does seem like Nick Benito is probably the top guy of a cluster for Peyton. And that's who they took because they couldn't get off of 64. And I'm cool with that. Um, but he was ranked 72 overall in the Sports Info Solutions big board. Ranked 12th among edge rushers. And, and again, like that doesn't necessarily mean he's bad, you know, dear listener. But I just, I think those things should be out there. You guys should know that. And he came in with a 6.5 grade. Um, that, my understanding, again, tell me, you know, tell me if I'm wrong on this. But my understanding of the your guys' grading system is that means he has, in year two, he will come in as a lower end starter. Yes. Yes. He's, we're thinking that, especially like you said, with Bonito, he's more of the pass rush type. Obviously he's very small. Um, he needs to get stronger, needs to get thicker. Um, but in terms of like, when you're talking about edges, that six, five, six, six grade, we're looking at the beginning of year two being more of that low end starting type situational type of guy. So again, the, the strength isn't, isn't there right now. He's going to have to get a lot bigger, get a lot stronger. Um, but we're thinking, you know, a third down, pass rush situation type of guy being able to get to the passer. Cause he's probably not going to be able to hold up, you know, much and, and be able to set the edge very well on rundowns. And one thing you and I talked about in our pre-draft show, and guys, if you have not heard that, you should probably go back and hear it. But one of the things you and I talked about before the draft was the fact that it is pretty typical for players to get some, a good bit stronger in the league. Like that is something you can, I don't want to say you can count on it, but it's pretty reasonable to think a player, once he gets into an NFL strength and conditioning program is going to get stronger. Um, and I know the grade is for year two, but do you think over the course of his career, like let's say over the course of his rookie contract, he has the potential to be an actual solid starter. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a possibility. You know, I think he has. Whenever you look at getting stronger, you you also have to look at the frame. You know, there's obviously guys that you know they're going to get a little bit stronger, but the frame isn't going to allow for a lot more bulk and a lot more, uh, you know, strength and muscle and things like that. He's a guy that's six three, two forty eight, so not gigantic in terms of a, of an edge type of guy, but probably can can get a, a you know big enough. To you know, if you get to that that two fifty five, maybe two sixty range, you can probably hold the edge well enough. Assuming you know you're filling out and you you have the strength there. Um, but yeah, in terms of the tools, like again, super athletic, quick, bendy. You know, I, I he's going to come in and I think he's going to make uh he's going to make plays his rookie year. And I think at least by year two, he's going to be pretty solid in terms of a pass rusher. Um, and I think the hope is that, yeah, I think, you know, looking, you know, maybe in the middle to end of year two, year three, he's got enough bulk on him. He's got enough strength that maybe he can start to set the edge a little bit in the run game. And, and one of the reasons I, I really do want to press you on that is just because Bradley Chubb has the contract that's expiring at the end of this year. The Broncos next year, as of now, I want to say, and again, I'm not looking at the number, but I want to say they have a little bit over 60 million in cap space, only 41 players under contract, not counting the rookie class. Um, all the, you know, all those numbers are, you know, without that included according to over the cap, um, they can create some space by like releasing Darby, but then you need a CB two, So it's, it's not easy necessarily to sign Chubb next year. I know a lot of people are already starting to throw, Oh, you can just franchise tag him if he's healthy, but that puts all that money into one year. Like that's not necessarily the solution. So it does look like there's a decent chance. Benito is probably thrown out there as a starter in 2023. So I'm, I am curious kind of how that will go. Um, when I've watched the tape, the Sooners, they run a three, three, five, but they slant a lot. Um, I, I know that was a big part of Perry and Winfrey, uh, the defensive lineman, his scouting report is just how much that really influenced what you were seeing. Do you think that that inflated Benito's production? And do you think it hid his ability or his inability or his struggles setting the edge? I don't know if it really inflated the pass rushing ability, but I think it may have hid the, the, the run stopping ability a little bit. Um, you know, obviously when you're, when you're talking about slanting, it's good and bad, you know, there's times you're going to slant right into the play and there's times that you're going to slant and you're going to just take yourself right out of the play. So I think, I think it's, um, you know, UCLA does the same thing and it, it's very frustrating to try to watch those guys. Um, because you know, Otito Ogbania and you know, at, at UCLA, their nose tackle, he's slanting all the time. This guy should not be slanting. He should just be going forward. Um, and yeah, like you said, with Winfrey too, it's just, um, it, it makes it hard to evaluate those types of guys. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think Benito is going to benefit from truly being in more of that three, four style, really playing the edge, not slanting as much and kind of getting more upfield. Um, but I think it's going to come back down to, you know, at the end of the day, he just, he's going to have to get bigger and stronger for sure. One thing I do really like about Benito compared to a lot of the other edge rushers in this class was the fact that he is so fluid in space. Um, because, and, and again, this is one of those things that it's not necessarily popular with Broncos fans, but the Rams actually dropped their edges into coverage more than Fangio did. Um, and it's one of those things that you look at Gregory and now you look at Benito, they're adding smaller edge rushers who have that fluidity. Uh, so I do think that that is going to be a part of the Broncos defense going forward. And I think Bonito fits that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, you know, it's one thing to have a really good pass rusher, but if you're going to be a scheme that is going to have, you know, dependent on dropping those guys into the flats or even a little bit deeper than that, um, it's nice to have these guys that are rangy, they're athletic out in space. And, and yeah, Benito is definitely that type of guy. Uh, looking to the next pick. 
uh and this is actually i was really surprised so i want to preface this okay so the broncos were at 75 they traded down from 75 to 80 uh in in the process they lost out on uh raymond i liked raymond just because i think the broncos had a need long term for a tackle although truth truthfully raymond's probably a left tackle he's better as a left tackle than a right tackle so that's you know either here or there, but it's just the Broncos ended up coming out of this draft without a tackle at all. And that was kind of frustrating for me. Uh, the other part of Greg Dulcich for me, I liked the player a lot. Drafting a tight end as high as the Broncos did. I have a lot of questions just because Russell Wilson doesn't really use tight ends or he hasn't historically uh, over the course of his career, other than Jimmy Graham for three years with Jimmy Graham, Russell Wilson's primary tight end never produced a 500 yard receiving season. Again, you know, it's just a number, but at the same time, it kind of gives you an idea of how seldomly he targets the middle of the field. Um, so that was kind of a question to me. And then the other part with, uh, with Dulcich is lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky, lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He's a rookie tight end. Rookie tight ends almost never hit the ground running. Uh, as a rookie and the Broncos Super Bowl window is right now. So it's like, they don't necessarily have a lot of time to wait for Dulcich to put it together. Granted after the Noah fan, after Noah fan was traded to Seattle, there's, there's definitely a, a, an opportunity for him to carve out a role this year. But when I've watched him on tape, his struggles run blocking. I do think that that's going to hurt his ability to see the field early. Uh, am I wrong? Like where, where do you land on this? Yeah. So, Starting with the uh, the, the Seahawks and, and like the the Wilson and, and tight end situation, I kind of dug into this a little bit and I looked at how much how much they targeted tight ends. Um, once Graham left in 2018, it was 18 percent, and then 2019 through 2021, it was like clockwork, barely you know a tick over 20 percent. Um, so they don't target tight ends a lot, but some of it I think was who they had on the roster. I'd say Will Disley the last three years has been their best tight end, and he's definitely not a receiving tight end. He's more of, of that blocking tight end. This last year, Gerald Everett came the closest um, to getting that 500 mark, and I would say he's easily the best receiving tight end they've had in the last four years. Um, but I, I think a lot of it came to the personnel that they had. Um, obviously, if they had a guy like Noah Fant, I think he would be used a little bit more. The one good part about Dulcich is the receiving ability. Like you mentioned, the the run blocking is, is something that's going to have to come. Um, that's why we you know we don't have him in that six seven grade or above uh, right now. We we think he's more of a Y who you know has that receiving ability, but still needs to get it all as a blocker. Um, but it can come. For me, there was three there was three tight ends in this class who I really thought could possibly hit the complete tight end six, seven level. Um, it, not by year two, but eventually. And, and Dulcich is one of them. Um, so I, I like what he brings. I like the fact that, you know, he is that wide, but has the receiving ability and has the ability to kind of move out into the slot, move out uh, wide if you need him to. Um, so I think he'll get used a little bit more than maybe you would think a Russell Wilson tight end would get used. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think there's going to be some questions and there's definitely going to be some growing pains uh, whenever you have him in uh, run blocking because he definitely needs a little bit of technical work there. Couple things I really liked about Dulcich. Uh, personally, the fact that he was a walk on turned academical American, I really liked. I like the fact that six passes for 38 plus yards in last year that kind of hinted the fact that th- there was some knock when he was first drafted uh, in terms of, you know, immediate aftermath of, well, he's not as good an athlete as Noah Fant. That's not really a big slight. Noah Fant's a freakish athlete for a tight end. Um, but he's a, he's a savvy route runner. He does a good job getting yards after catch, which I like because again, put the ball in his hand, let him go do something. Uh, in terms of value, he was actually probably the best value pick by the SIS board. Broncos took him at 80. He was the 50th overall prospect on your guys' board. And like you said, he was a 6.6 grade. I, I was surprised at how much Broncos fans didn't like the pick. Um, like, again, I was a little bit ambivalent about it just because I thought the opportunity cost. I like the player. Um, but a lot of fans have been kind of down on it for about a week or so. And then they've now started to come around, you know, cause now it's hope season, but, but I, I was surprised. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing, like if you're a Broncos fan, I guess the one thing, you know, if you go with Raymond there, there, there was a possibility that later in, in the fourth round, you could have gotten a guy like, uh, or I guess later, you know, you, a, a guy like Isaiah likely or, you know, a Rucker or a McBride or, or, or um, not McBride, but like a, a Daniel Bellinger or Charlie Kolar or one of these guys. And you could kind of flip it. You could get that tackle early uh, and then get one of these other tight ends that kind of fell later. Um, but, but like I said, you know, I, I think Dulcich is one of those guys who can really hit uh, being that complete tight end just needs a little bit of work. But I think he's already a guy that can come in and produce. Uh, you know, right away in terms of uh, being a receiver. And, and again, not to put you too much on the spot, but based on what you've seen from uh, Albert O, how, because other than Albert O, the Broncos tight end room is a lot of blocking tight ends. Uh, so it, it's really going to come down to Dulcich and Albert O. And Albert O has been dinged up enough that I do think Dulcich will see some time at some point. Uh, some Broncos fans are already saying, well, Dulcich is going to, just going to win the starting job. I think that might be a little bit ahead of the horse. Like you're putting the cart before the horse a little bit there, but I do think he could push him a little bit, especially over the course of the year. No, I, I agree. I, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I would say Dulcich is like the immediate starter right away, especially looking, you know, given Alberto, like, I think there's enough there that Alberto can come in and, and, and kind of be the guy at least to start the season. Um, but I, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. You know, Dulcich has enough athletic ability and is, is that, you know, true tight end mold that, you know, if he kind of gets it all together and things start to click a little bit earlier than maybe you think a rookie tight end would, I think he's got enough to, to really, you know, get in there, get a lot of playing time. And maybe by the end of the season, he's the guy, but I, yeah, I wouldn't really you know, hang my hat on him on, on day one for, for sure. As far as the blocking stuff goes, cause that is the big question on Dulcich. And again, Twitter, you know, Twitter, Twitter's the death of nuance. Uh, the, the, the rub is he's a bad blocker. And again, I, I don't think he is a good blocker, but the big knock on him in terms of blocking is his, his technique, his hands are too wide. And again, Guys, the scouting report was on top of that long before, you know, a lot of other people were. So I, again, I hope you guys go and check that out, but that's, that's a technical thing that hopefully he can kind of refine. And then while I don't know if he'll ever become like, you know, a smash mouth, really strong blocker, I think he could become a good enough blocker to be effective in a zone dual run game. Am I crazy? 
No, yeah, I agree. I, uh, you know, he's not the type of guy, like you said, he's not going to be the type of guy who's going to come in and just be that true wide bruising tight end, uh, you know, blocking tight end type of guy. But, you know, there's not a lot of those guys. You know, if, if they are those types of guys in the NFL, they're not doing much in the receiving game. Um, and I think, you know, for Dulcich, he's got enough receiving ability because that's basically the calling card for him that as long as you're doing enough in terms of blocking in the run game, you're going to be just fine with him. And I, I think he's doing, you know, he's almost there in terms of that already. So he just needs to to groom, develop a little bit there. And I, I think he's perfectly going to be fine. You know, he's going to be perfectly fine in terms of getting in there and at least doing enough. There's there's going to be his his fair share of hiccups for sure. I'm sure he's going to he's going to blow a, a few blocks and, and things here and there. But, you know, if, if I'm getting the 500, 600, 700 yard seasons from him, on the receiving side and, and him being a red zone type of threat uh, in the middle of the field, I, I'm perfectly fine with giving up a couple of, um, you know, plays behind the line of scrimmage because he missed a block here and there. Agreed. And I, I personally don't normally put it on the tight end. If he, if a tight end messes up a block versus an edge rusher, but he was left on an Island versus an edge rusher. To me, that's a coaching issue. That's not necessarily the player's fault. Um, and that was one of those things that last year fans got really mad at Noah Fant last year. Because there was a couple times, uh, TJ Watt, or yeah, TJ Watt. Pat Shermer had him line up and try to block TJ Watt, and then everyone was surprised that he lost. It's like, dude, like that's that's not fa- like you're not asking your tight end to block TJ Watt and expecting good things. Like you shouldn't be. No, no offense already. I mean, he does enough, but he's already not a great blocker, and you're trying to ask him to go up against one of the bed- edge rushers. It's not going to happen. So day three is where I start to get. And again, this is where I started to make Broncos fans mad because I was pretty critical. Uh, the Damari Mathis pick is kind of like I've seen people. Some people, uh, the Athletics Dane Brugler thinks he will be a steal. I think he could be, um, but I definitely have some pretty big concerns with him as well. Uh, he was the twenty seventh twenty seventh ranked cornerback on your guys's board. Um, I do believe he was the thirteenth taken, but I I counted that pretty fast, so I might be wrong. Um, but he had a five point nine grade. Uh, and what to me, the big concern there is Demarion Williams and Jalen Armour Davis both went to the Ravens after Mathis did, and they both had higher grades by quite a bit. Um, like how, like how, how, how would you compare like a 5.9 to like a 6.5 or 6.4 for our listeners? Yeah. So when you're talking about corners, your six, five grade is basically your role playing starter, which is your number three. Um, you know, obviously now you're playing a lot of 11 personnel, um, on offense. So you, you're, you're going to be playing a lot of, of nickel, uh, you know, in terms of, of defense. So your number three is essentially a role playing starter. And that's the six, five grade who has inside and outside flex. So this is a guy who can play on the outside. He can, he can slide down into the slot, uh, and play both. When you jump down to the 6'4 grade, it's essentially the same thing, but now he doesn't have that flexibility. So he's a guy who is still at number three, but maybe he's only on the outside or he's only in the slot. Um, you also have a 6'2 grade, which we'll get to here in a little bit, is sort of that universal, versatile backup type of guy. Um, but then 5'9 is sort of the next one where he's he's now in number four. Um, so you know maybe he's, he's just a slot or maybe he's just outside. Maybe he can do a little bit of both but he's not good enough to really be a starter, but, but it's more of that top backup type of guy. Um, so that's kind of how we view Mathis, you know, 
being a senior bowl guy, I'm sure helped him a little bit. Um, I like some pieces of his game. Um, but for me, I just feel like he's more of a depth guy uh, and, and can be that guy as, as, as a number four, maybe coming out, especially, you know, I, I think it makes sense in terms of, of Denver, you know, taking multiple corners um, because of the situation that they've been in in the, in the past couple of years. Um, so do I see him being, a true steal, probably not, but I think he's got enough traits to kind of work his way into maybe being a starter a few years down the road. Because again, we're we're grading by year two. You know, it doesn't mean he's not going to be a starter in, in year three uh, and be a capable starter. Um, it's just you know when we're trying to project, we're only looking at year two. We're not trying to project you know three or four years down the road. That makes sense. Uh, so a couple big things that I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on. He had a shoulder injury in 2020 that basically knocked out his season. Uh, does that concern you at all with a corner? Cause corner I've looked at the injury data before, uh, cornerbacks are the most injured position on defense. Um, and it makes sense. You know, they're, they're the smallest players usually on defense as well. Uh, and then obviously if they're going to make tackles and stuff like the shoulder is not that rare. Um, do you think that's concerning? It's a little concerning, um, especially whenever guys are trying to make tackle at the corner position and they're not really trying to wrap up. They're throwing shoulders, so it does make sense. Um, we have him tabbed as a, a medium long-term injury risk type of guy, so uh, there is you know, a risk there of, of possibly re-injuring something. Um, so it's a little bit of a concern, but uh, you know, in terms of, of the value that you're getting here, you know, at least he was on day three. It's not a guy that you're taking in the second or third round. Um, you know, I think there, there's enough there that you can kind of work with and especially, you know, Denver thought that, that there was, um, to take him this early. And in one of the other things you mentioned, the senior bowl, I want to touch on this too. He also had really good workout numbers. Uh, his relative athletic score, I know was the highest of Bronco, uh, the Broncos draft class and not everybody puts, you know, as much stock in the RAS stuff as, you know, Broncos fans do, but it is notable that he had a really good workout. So I, I do think that also probably helped move him up in the pre-draft process a little bit. Uh, but one of the, my other big concerns with him is he had 17 penalties across the last two seasons. Uh, you guys touch on this physicality and how it's probably going to get him in trouble in the league when you watch him on tape. So there's two parts. When I was watching him on tape, the physicality stands out good and bad. Um, Cause I think he does do a good job shedding blocks to make tackles compared to some of the other corners I've watched uh, in this, in this class. But also there are times where he is way too physical with receivers. And then there's a couple times, and, th and this isn't related to the physicality, but I, I noticed it and I just wanted to mention it. There was a time where like, he could, he fell down. Like he just got knocked down and got dusted against. I think I want to say it was UCLA that to me. And again, maybe, you know, it's a couple time thing, but it's still like you, you do notice it. Um, as far as the penalty stuff goes though, I know he's not the first corner to have those kind of concerns. How often would you say that seems to get kind of ironed out over the course of a guy's career? Maybe not right away, but you know. Yeah. I mean, being a pit fan, I've been very accustomed to seeing a lot of pass interference penalties from Pitt, and it, it's not just him. It's been a lot of guys from the last four or five years, you know, every single corner that comes out, it's pretty much, you know, concerns about penalties. Um, so he's not the first one. And I, I think it's a learning curve. There is a little bit of a learning curve for sure. Um, but generally speaking, I think I'd rather have somebody that's more physical, especially, you know, mid route than someone who isn't. And to your point, it is important to know when to be physical and when not to be physical. Um, and I think a lot of that stuff does kind of get ironed out. Like there's a guy, you know, Avante Maddox in, in Philadelphia came out of, at a pit was very, very handsy coming out. 
um, and hasn't been too bad. You know, there, there's still some issues with him. Um, but, you know, again, I'd rather have a guy who is a little bit more physical, makes receivers work and, you know, isn't just kind of laying off. But again, you have to know how to use it. You know, you have to know how to be physical without getting flagged all the time. So it may be an issue early on, um, but I do see a little bit, you know, coming out of it um, because with him, like physicality is a lot of his game. You know, he's going to play press at the at the line of scrimmage. He's going to play physical. And I like guys who are physical and press and then stay physical throughout the entirety of the play. It's just you're going to have to to learn more of the nuance of, of not holding and, and everything the entirety of the route. Do you like his scheme fit? Um, Because that's that's the other thing that with cornerbacks, it seems like the fan. And again, maybe maybe this is just my you know my thoughts with the Broncos, but it's it has seemed like under Fangio and now you know under Peyton, it seems like the Broncos look at different things at cornerback than the consensus boards tend to. Um, partly, I like, and this is you know neither here nor there. I thought Ojemudia was a weird fit for Fangio when John Elway drafted him just because he, and again, he was his own corner and maybe that's why Elway drafted him, but I didn't necessarily think he was super fluid. Um, I do think Mathis is a little bit more fluid in space. And I do like that. I let in, in his physicality and willingness to kind of like mix it up against the run. I do think that is good. Whereas like when Ujimodia was a rookie, there was definitely some issues with his tackling. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's going to be a thing with Mathis, but maybe, you know, maybe that's me being optimistic. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, we, we had him more of that cover two zone type of corner um, or more of a press man guy. I, he's not a guy that I would take off uh, off the line of scrimmage and really trust the transition and, and athleticism as much. Um, but again, being physical at the line of scrimmage, whether you're going to kind of just pop off in that cover two or if you're going to play man, um, I think he's the type of guy that that I'd be comfortable with doing either of those four. So the next pick, because uh, the Broncos had these back to back, 115 was Damari Mathis. The next one is, uh, was Ioma, Awa, Awa, oh man, I, I did this last week too. Awazuru, Awazurike. Um, and honestly, of the two fourth round picks, I actually really liked him relative to where the consensus board was on him. Uh, according to the athletics consensus board, this was like a 50 pick reach. I didn't really see that just because he's a rare body type in today's NFL to me. Uh, I mean, he's six foot six, 316 pounds, and he has the profile to be a two gapper in the league, especially over time. I do think, I don't think he's necessarily the same pass rusher that the raw box score stats gave him. Um, immediately after the draft pick, a lot of Broncos analysts were going crazy with last year. He had nine sacks. And it's like, guys, if you watch his tape, he's not a quick twitch pass rusher. He's a guy who's going to get there. If you know, as a secondary rusher, um, but he was the eighth ranked defensive lineman on the SIS board and he had a 6.2 grade. Uh, how does that uh, really like translate for year two? Yeah. Six, two, as, as I mentioned earlier, that's kind of the universal versatile backup. Um, this is a guy who, you know, he's probably not going to start, but he can back up at multiple positions and, and kind of do different things. So in, in Wazirike's case, you're looking at, you know, he has the strength to be able to two gap. He can play that five tech. He can even bump down to nose a little bit if you really wanted to as like a true zero if you wanted. Um, but he can also be that penetrator. Maybe if you if you're in more of, of that even front look as a three tech or a one tech um, and, and kind of get into the backfield. Um, but I, I agree with you. The first thing, you know, I like him as a player, but he is not a 31 pressure and nine sack type of player at all. 
Um, I, I think it, you know, going into it, if you're looking at maybe two or three sacks, I think I would be happy with something like that. But he is a big, strong dude, and he he gives a ton of effort, and he's going to plug up a ton of run lanes. Um, but, you know, in terms of pass, pass brush uh, production, he's just a little too upright, too tight, too big, honestly, to, to do a lot there. Um, but I, I really like him as a first and second down player, uh, at least early on. Uh, last week, I was talking about him to uh, AJ for for our episode. Uh, I mentioned that I kind of see him fitting into the Ashawn Robinson role uh, that the Rams had in a similar mold. He's a little bit taller um, and he's a tiny bit lighter. Uh, but I scouted Robinson quite a bit when he first came out with the Lions and I liked him. I, I did think that the expectation that he would be a pass rusher was also kind of misplaced just because it didn't really fit his strengths. Um, and I think this is the same thing here. But I do think he can two gap. And the thing is, the Fangio defense asks their defensive line to play that gap and a half quite a bit. And after Shelby Harris was traded to Seattle, the Broncos didn't really have that player anymore. Uh, they, they signed DJ Jones. And a lot of Broncos fans wanted to believe that DJ Jones was the Shelby Harris replacement. But he's six feet. And he has, I want to say he had 30, I want to say it was 31 inch arms. I'm not looking at it. That's short for a five tech. That's short and it's not very long yeah. for five tech. And that's going to be a problem against tackles. And I understand that fans want to just say, oh, it'll be fine. He's big. He can just, you know, slide out. It works in Madden. That's not how it works. Um, whereas like Awazirike is long. Like not only is he six foot six, but he's long. And two gapping is one of the strengths of his game. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, like you said, you know, five techs, you, you got to be a little bit longer to, to work out with those guys. There's, there's a reason you have these edge rushers, you know, the 33, 34 inch arms to go up against the, the tackles who have that, that size as well. And yeah, I think he fits really well in terms of, of being in that, in that five tech role. Um, and like I said, he's got the versatility that if you need to bump him down a little bit in, in other situa situations, I, I think I'm perfectly fine with it. It's just don't, it, don't go into it expecting a lot of pass rush production because you're not going to get it. Um, and, and really, honestly, anything more than a few sacks here and there, um, I, I'd be incredibly happy and surprised with. Yeah, I, I saw some people try and say because he was he was labeled as an edge. He's going to be an edge for the Broncos. And I just it's like, guys, he's six foot six, 316 pounds. He's not an edge. Uh, yeah, not, not there's. There, there's a reason that we, we when we grade we separate those guys out so our edges are our four three dns and three four outside linebackers and when you're talking about five techs that kind of bumps down into the defensive tackle mold because the size makes more sense these guys aren't true speed edge bendy you know rushers on the on the outside there so it makes it makes sense that your your three tech and five tech is probably going to be a similar type of mold so you're not going to see too uh too many 300 pound uh edge true edge rushers uh in that in that sense one last thing i want to ask you about with him uh and, th and this is actually a little bit pertinent to other players in this class as well further down he was old for a prospect uh he's 24 now uh First of all, does that impact how you guys scout these players at all? Because this was actually an older class. A lot of players stayed in school for that extra year of eligibility that they received because of COVID. Um, but also, I know that there is some concern in some in some parts of the scouting community that that impacts like their ceiling. Uh, and then the other part of it is being an older prospect. A lot of times you're playing against much younger players, so the tape may not necessarily be as accurate. Like, do any of those concerns kind of like? hit for you yeah it's something you definitely have to look at um you know there's a reason that you look at most you know tops of, of big boards 
most of them are third year sophomores, third year juniors. Like there's a reason for that. Uh, a lot of it is the age factor. Um, to me, there, there's a couple different things that you, that kind of go into it. So the first thing is we're only, we, again, we're only grading and projecting to year two. So a guy is 24 right now. We're projecting in what he's going to be at 25. Um, so it's not like we're projecting four or five years down the road when he's going to be almost 30. And a lot of these guys, as long as you're not talking you know, about the first first round, we're not talking about first rounders. We're talking about more of the depth type players and what you're seeing on day three. I would gladly take a guy who has a ceiling of of being a solid backup, you know, first and second down player because, you know, he's already hit his ceiling. It doesn't have a lot of potential. Because, you, you know, those guys, those backup type depth type players who are back end of the roster type guys, you're always evaluating those guys regardless anyway. So every single offseason, you're looking to make, you know, get better and, and replace those guys, you know, if you can. Um, so to me, you know, I'll gladly take that guy because I'm not worried about what he's going to be three or four years down the road. Maybe, you know, we're not looking for a second contract out of this guy. He can go. We're going to get another player who is almost exactly the same within the next few years in the draft anyway. Um, so I think whenever you're talking about the top end of the draft, I think age is a definite factor because you're look you're paying a lot of money for these guys. You're looking at trying to get second contracts for these guys. But when you're looking at day day three type of players, to me, I'll gladly take a guy who is really good and doesn't have a, a huge ceiling because I'm just looking for him to be good for the next couple of years. Um, so I know there's a lot of different, you know, different, um, you know, opinions on, on certain things, but, and like I said, I preface by saying, I'm not talking about first rounders. Um, those are, are, are kind of a different, different set there, but to me, you know, I think I'm gladly taking a guy, uh, who, who's been solid and maybe doesn't have a ton of growth because he's, he's probably only going to be on the roster for a couple of years. And that's, I think, one of those misnomers about the draft in general. Uh, we treat it like every player is going to be a 10-year solution. And reality is, and, and I looked at, again, not to keep referencing over the cap, but uh, Jason Fitzgerald at Over the Cap did a study for uh, the five years preceding the 2019 draft. Uh, and he looked, and basically the idea that a draft pick is going to be a 10-year solution is it's pretty misguided uh generally and those players that do end up turning into those answers like you said most of them are coming out of the first round some second round you know and then there's steals like that show up but generally the players that are drafted on the second round and later they're rookie contract solutions like you're, you're essentially drafting that guy to be a solution while he's cheap and then if he's not cheap anymore and he's not significantly outproducing what you drafted him to be you're probably not paying him to keep him yeah, it's um I mean it's tough. It's you're you're wanting you're wanting your draft class to hit. Like oh, every yeah. single guy. Uh you you want every single guy to be, you know, a great player and, and to be around as long as possible. But it, it, again, like you said, it just it doesn't work that way. And you're always looking, you know, beyond your starters, and I mean even your starters as well, you're always looking at who your backups are and can we get better, you know, at every position, can we get better? And whenever, you know, we grade guys who are five eights and five nines, like those are solid players. You need backups, you need good quality backups. But if down the road next year or the year after we have a, a, an opportunity to replace a five, nine with a six, two, we're going to do it. Like you you want to uh, improve every room that you have in, in the building and thinking that these guys are, are going to be, you know, the answers long-term 
especially every single player in your draft class just isn't feasible. Yeah. Um, so to me, I, you know, I'm perfectly fine taking a, a solid guy that may be a little bit older in, you know, on day three, because maybe he can come out and be a positive influence and a positive impact for a couple of years until I go find somebody else to, to replace him with. And that's one of those things that I get into trouble with sometimes, uh, just because as a fan, like you just said, I want every one of these players to be a hall of famer. Like I would love, you know, for, Delarian Turner yell to turn into a hall of famer and prove me wrong. But at the same time, like I try to take as much as I can that side of my brain out of it and try and say, well, what do I think of this player? And again, that's one of those reasons I really like talking to you because we can actually talk about this from like an evaluation and a philosophical standpoint of if you're building a roster, what are you doing with this? And it's one of the reasons why I love your guys's grading system because it is, it's objective. It's not, it's, this is what we think is great is, this is what the other guy's grade is. How do they compare? And we can actually see that in a way that it's really tangible. Like you can actually see it. Um, which brings me to Delarian Turner Yell. I did not like this pick. Uh, I was very, very critical of this pick. Um, and, and, and again, that's just where I landed on it. Um, there's a couple parts to it. I, I you know, I want to, you know, kind of add that in. The Broncos drafted two fifth round safeties last year. Uh, Caden Stearns looks like he will probably outproduce his draft slot a little bit. Um, granted the Broncos did, did sign Kareem Jackson, but last year he was, he was playing as the nickel, uh, after a couple injuries and he basically held onto that role. And then against Detroit, he ended up getting a start. He got the start and he looked okay. I know Detroit was basically wrecked by COVID in that game, but he still, he did not look like a rookie out of place is like kind of the big thing for me. He looked good enough that I would have said if the Broncos hadn't signed Kareem Jackson, he was who I expected to probably play in that role. On the other side of it, Jamar Johnson basically did nothing uh, all year. So I, and again, I understand kind of grabbing DTY in part because maybe Jamar Johnson just, he hasn't impressed the new coaching staff, uh, but the Broncos already had six safeties on their roster uh, and PJ Locke in the preseason. And again, it's a preseason, but PJ Locke in the preseason last year looked like he could be a decent backup on a one-year deal and he's a special teams contributor already and then they signed jr reed and the coaching staff you would think knows what jr reed can do because he was a ram so the fact that they then turned around and grabbed dty kind of raised some questions in my head um also there was other players on the board i i, I definitely much preferred um he was the 15th ranked safety on your guys's board uh and he had a 5.8 grade my understanding is that means he will probably eventually turn into a, a number two down like in next, like next year. And then maybe down the road. Uh, is that kind of like, am I, am I on the ballpark there or wh where do you, where am I? Yeah. In terms of a five, eight, when we're talking about the safety class, you're talking about a number four. Okay. Um, so he's a number four safety, solid depth player, but he has good special teams ability. So kind of along the lines with a lot of the other safeties that you just mentioned, um, good depth safeties that are probably going to come in and, and play on special teams. And I think that's kind of where he fits. Um, he, he seems like a guy that can come out, can be a good depth, depth piece, contribute on special teams. Um, for me, this was a really weird safety class. I think there was, there was a lot of good talent at the top in terms of like the top five or six. And then to me, it just fell off. Um, there was a lot of five eights. If you looked at our, our board, there were about 25 eights, um, which is basically telling you, you know, there was just a lot of guys who to me just weren't super impressive and weren't well-rounded. There was a lot of guys that, that kind of had one or two good traits, but not enough to say like, Hey, this guy can come out and start. Um, and, and he kind of fell into that. 
Um, there's a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys like uh, a Veron McKinley or a Percy Butler or some of these other guys that that were being talked about, um, you know, just didn't see a lot with these guys. Um, so it was a very weird safety class. It was very tough to evaluate a lot of these guys, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that it, for him to make it, you know, there, it's possible that maybe he can beat out one of these other guys. Um, but it's it's going to be as a number four or a number five, um, you know, basically playing on special teams his first year or two. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And one of the other things I've, I had a lot of questions about with him is based on the scouting report uh, he profiles as a free safety who has some issues running the ally alley and a few issues taking on blocks. And, and again, maybe, maybe my understanding of what the new Broncos defense is going to be is wrong, but everything I've heard from, you know, like the, the, uh, the mini camp type stuff. And like when players have gone to the podium, they have basically said every defensive player has basically said it's essentially the Fangio system with different verbiage which, okay, that means that they're going to be running out of two high shells quite a bit, which means that you're probably going to be asking your safety if he has to play to run the alley and take on blocks here and there. So the fact that DTY has issues with that does raise pretty big concerns for me when PJ Locke has already shown he's he can do it. Yeah, I, he's he's a guy that I think he he fits into the too high system in terms of like playing the back end. Okay. Um, I, I, think, I don't think he's a guy that you know, he doesn't have the range and the instincts to be able to, like, if you're going to ask him to be the one high defender, uh, he's not that type of guy, but to be in a, in a too high look, he's got the range to play on the back end. Like you said, he does, you know, the alleys, it, there's a little bit of question there. He is a little slow to trigger to the run. Um, but I don't think he's afraid to, like, I think some of it's just going to have to click a little bit faster with him. So I like his ability to, to support the run. It's just, he needs to get a little bit quicker and improve the angles, um, which, you know, it, when you're playing in a too high scheme, you're hoping that the angles are, are kind of slimmed down a little bit. You're not playing in the middle of the field and, and basically, you know, bolting from the middle all the way to the sidelines. So, so it should help a little bit, but you know, again, as a backside defender, you don't want to be too aggressive or you're going to give up something on the, on the other side. But I think there's enough there that, you know, he can come in and be competent at, at that level. Um, but yeah, there, you know, I, I feel good about his ability in coverage, but there are going to be some growing pains in terms of, of what he's going to be able to do in run support while he improves on the angles and running the alleys and things like that. This is with those questions. Uh, how does that necessarily translate then to like a kickoff coverage or a punk coverage? Because if he's going to make, and again, because he was drafted in the fifth round this year, he's almost a guarantee to make probably the roster at least this year. Um, I, and again, that, Drafting him to me is a sign that the Broncos aren't necessarily married to Jamar Johnson, who was last year's fifth round pick. Um, and again, maybe, you know, it, it's not unheard of to put a fifth rounder on the practice squad. I just don't expect it. Mm -hmm. um, but because he has those issues, I do wonder how he's going to fit on his special teams. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's a concern. I The one good thing about it is he doesn't, he's not like super hesitant. Like he he's fine 
getting into contact. Like he's, he's perfectly fine and willing to do it, which I think, you know, obviously a, a lot of that is yeah. what bodes well for special teams. Um, I think it, some of it's just the instincts factor, uh, on the back end in, in defense. So, you know, a lot, a lot of that is really taken out of special teams, which, you know, it definitely helps. Um, so, you know, putting him on, on kickoff or, or punt or something like that, I think he would be okay with, okay. um, it's just picking things up a little bit quicker is the biggest thing for him. Gotcha. The second fifth, again, I was pretty critical of the Broncos entire fifth round. So, uh, this is some people reacted to my draft grade by saying, Joe, they were fifth round picks. And I get that. That's fair. Cause you know, what are your expectations for a fifth round pick? But each one of these guys in terms of the consensus stuff, and then like looking at the SIS board, all three of these guys were kind of questions compared to where they were taken. Um, Montreal Washington is one of the only players that I know of that was not on your guys's like it wasn't on your board at all. Um, and honestly, immediately after he was drafted, my first thought was, I don't know who this is, which is not normal. Like I normally have at least a, I've heard his name. And then I started looking him up and uh, NFL.com's Lance Zerline made a scouting report since he came out. But in the immediate aftermath of Montreal Washington getting drafted, there was not a single scouting report on a Google search. I found an interview he made. I found a couple things with Sports Illustrated where like they had talked about him, but there was no scouting reports, which kind of gives you an idea of where I think the draft community was on with him to begin with. Um, and again, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but he was a 5'9", 180 pound slot receiver from the FCS who projects as a, as a return specialist those guys aren't probably going to land on a lot of radars. Um, so it was pretty surprising to me that the Broncos drafted him as highly as they did. Again, there was, there was quite a bit of talent on the board still. If you're looking at like special teamers or backup, you know, backup defenders. So I, I did have questions about this pick quite, um, the word was in the, in the immediate aftermath that I heard was that Dwayne Stukes, the Broncos special teams coordinator believed he was the best returner left. Um, and that he's going to basically take the job, you know, by the horns, like right away. Um, but kind of, first of all, and again, I, I don't want to press you too hard on this, but like, so why didn't he land on your guys's board? So he was one of six guys we actually didn't watch <clears throat> who ended up getting drafted. So there ended up being, if you take out the specialists and the fullbacks, there was 29 guys that got drafted who we didn't have on our board, but all but six had been watched. We just didn't think their grade was, was going to be good enough for, for us to put them on there. We would love to put everybody on the, on the board. Um, but we had have to have cutoffs, you know, here and there for every position, but they just wouldn't, weren't going to make those, uh, um, those thresholds essentially. So Washington was one of six guys who we didn't have any eyes on. He did play in the NFLPA game. Um, and it's for us, it, it's tough because when you're looking at small school guys, we, we're obviously going to get the best small school guys on there regardless. Um, you know, the top 10 or 15 or so, those guys are going to be on there. You know, we're going to look at those guys and, and make sure that they have write-ups. But beyond that, it's tough to weigh those types of players because, one, there's there's so many FCS guys, so many different schools and everything. And when you look at the draft, there's going to be way more FBS players that are going to get drafted than, than small scores. So that's one thing. And then two, we currently don't chart any games below the FBS level. So it's tough to weigh when, you know, beyond those 10 or 15 guys, 
do we really want to put another small school guy on there with a write-up but doesn't have any stats with it? The whole point of our website is to show you like, hey, here's the write-up, here are the numbers, here are all the stats we also collected. So now you can be the GM, you can be the person that kind of takes everything and, and kind of takes it as a collective whole to, to really form your own opinion. So that's one of the tougher things. We did mention him. He was sort of on our secondary list. Um, you know, we watched over 700 players this year. So there's a lot of players that we watched. We got 410 on the website, which was a huge success for us. Um, so I consider that a win. Um, but there's, yeah, it's, it's just one of those guys that uh, sort of, you know, didn't get a chance to watch. And whenever you're looking at beyond the FBS level, it's tough to weigh those guys into, you know, should we actually spend the time to watch this guy or should we watch, you know, somebody else who we really actually think can get drafted and we have all the stats to, to kind of throw on there and back it up as well. That makes sense. I, and I think, you know, this, I think I've talked to you about this before, but I, I worked as like the, the video coordinator for a little bit at a D2 school. So obviously we weren't in the FBS uh, and we had some guys who were definitely NFL hopefuls and some guys who tried out for the NFL. And again, at our level, they were very good. But there's a... It, for every Quinn Miners, there's like 100 guys who can't make the jump. Um, and that's just the, the reality of it. So I get it, especially from a time standpoint. Like, you're going to drive yourself crazy chasing, you know, gold, you know, the diamond. And you're going to miss all the other guys who actually have a legitimate chance. Yeah, uh, I Go ahead, I mean, I, I want to credit, you know, Jordan Edwards. He he takes care of all of our, our non-FBS guys. He he watched over 100, 100 of those guys. Wow. And, yeah. you know, we had, you know, I, I don't know the exact number of, of non-FBS guys uh, that actually made the site, but he watched a, a ton of guys. We had a ton of meetings to go through these guys. Um, so I, I feel like our we were pretty thorough about that. But again, you know, we're not truly a scouting company. This is kind of a um, you know, what we're doing on the side. So I would love to be able to watch all these guys and again, get reports on them. So again, you have to prioritize, you know, what, what makes sense and, and um, you know, kind of, kind of go from there. And it just didn't, uh, you know, for him this year. So with that in mind, uh, how do you feel about taking a guy uh, like essentially? Cause to me, I don't think he's going to be a slot receiver. I like, I think he'll be, I think he can moonlight as a slot receiver if you need him to. But I think he's essentially take and again, maybe you know, I hope I'm wrong. I hope, you know, he comes in and he, he ends up being in not the off-field stuff, but I hope he turns into Antonio Brown in terms of he starts out as a returner and then all of a sudden he becomes, you know, one of the best receivers in the league. Obviously. My brain tells me that's probably not gonna happen. Uh realistically, I think he's essentially taking the Deontay Spencer role from last year, where he is the designated returner. And if you have injuries to like the two or three guys ahead of him on the depth chart. He'll come in and be a decoy, but he's probably not even really a real receiving threat. To me, that feels like a reach in the fifth round. Um, where do you land on that? Yeah. Whenever you're taking a, a returner only player, that that's pigeonholing your, your roster. Um, you know, a guy that like for me, if you really feel he can come in and be a number five, and he has the ability to, you know, if he's thrust in there, he can be a competent receiver, then sure, go for it. But if you don't think that he's going to be a good enough receiver, at least by year two, then I don't know why you're going to roster a guy that is only a returner. I feel like there's a ton of guys in the league that you can come out would be just as good in the, in the, as a returner who can still play their designated position as well. So 
you know, I'm, I'm all about finding guys who, who are really good returners. There were a lot of guys that I watched this year where I love their athletic ability. I love the return ability, but they were really good at what they did on offense or defense as well. So, and, and whenever you look at it too, returning like special teams, you have to have size. So outside of returning, he's probably not doing anything else on special teams. So he's not going to be a guy who's going to be a gunner or, or anything like that on, on kickoff or punt. He's going to truly just return. And for me, it's going to be hard to roster a guy and make him active on game days if that's all he's going to do. Um, so, yeah, I have, a, I have a, you know, a tough time believing that he's a, a returner only guy. I have to, I have to think that they see some sort of receiving ability in him to be able to take him in the fifth, the fifth round. Like if you're that pressed for a, for a returner, then I, I feel like you got some other issues, you know, and at that point. So yeah, it, it's a, it's definitely a reach for me, but I, I really think that they have to view him as, as some sort of back end of, of the, the receiver depth chart type of guy. I hope. And again, I hope he can be, uh, because I think at this point, if Dwayne Stukes loves him as much as, you know, the stuff that I've kind of heard coming through the grapevine, he's pretty safe. Uh, it seems like, but to me, like you just touched on Andre Roberts signed after the draft. Uh, so it's like, if, if the Broncos were that hard up to find a returner, there was guys out there. Uh, and it's, it's not like the Broncos were so strapped for cash. They couldn't, assi- you know, they couldn't afford to sign a return specialist. Um, and like you said, that is my biggest issue with it is if all he is, is a returner, you now have 52 roster spots instead of 53. And I don't like that. Um, it's the, my biggest issue with last year's roster construction was the fact that they did prioritize Deontay Spencer over a lot of players who could do other stuff. And Deontay Spencer essentially didn't do anything on offense when he played the, the defense knew he wasn't getting the ball. So it was just, it was just kind of a waste of, and again, I, I don't have a problem with him as a person, but I just, I just don't agree with that kind of that philosophy, I guess. Uh, so this was actually my favorite of the three fifth round picks. Uh, and uh, as we were recording on a Wednesday, he actually signed his contract, uh, which is big news in the, you know, the dead season. Um, but Luke Wattenberg, uh, he was the 11th ranked inside uh, interior offensive lineman on the SIS board. He got a 6.2 grade, uh, which means he's a quality backup. Um, where'd you land on him? Yeah. You know, the versatile backup again, that universal six, two, uh, have a lot of those guys every year, but, um, yeah, I think one of the big things for him, he's a little skinny in, in the lower body, not super strong, not a guy who's going to be able to anchor against the gigantic, you know, nose tackles and things, but he moves really well. I think he, he's quick getting to the second level. If you're wanting to pull or even in, in this zone scheme, he's going to be able to get out, you know, pretty quick, at, you know, after snapping the ball. But again, you know, if you are wanting to to run some gap scheme or run some pulls, and if he, you know, if he has to, gets thrust in there at guard, he's one of those guys that has that range, has that athleticism and movement skills that that he can do a little bit of of everything. So the biggest thing for me for him is kind of getting getting a little bit more weight on him, getting a little bit um, you know better at, at an anchor because you know you put a three hundred and thirty pound nose over him, I think he's going to struggle to really kind of hold the pocket. Uh, but besides that, I really like the athleticism and the movement skills from him. And, and I know we talked about the older prospect thing a little bit, um, but the one thing I wondered about with Wattenberg, and again, I don't know if I necessarily have, I, I don't know where I've landed on this, but this is like kind of like my one concern with him in terms of like the strength and the frame is the fact that he's older. Like how, how reasonable is growth for him? Um, and again, I don't know necessarily if you've, you know, like dug into this too much, but like, 
that is the one big kind of concern I have for him as the fifth round pick here, just because if this is kind of like where he is, I still think it's fine as a fifth round pick, but there's fans that are already kind of out thinking like he's going to beat Lloyd Cushenberry for a starting job. And if he has questions about his play strength, granted Lloyd Cushenberry has questions about his play strength, but Lloyd Cushenberry was not a 24 year old coming out. Yeah. It, I think this, the situation is pretty similar when, when Cushenberry came out, you saw the issues with the, the play strength. And I think, Oh man, that was, yeah. That was ugly. It, you throw you throw Wattenberg in there. I think it's going to be worse. Um, and and I'm, I'm not saying that he's a bad player. I just he needs a little bit of time to to get bigger and to put some some strength on. Um, I would be hard pressed to think he's going to come out and start. Uh, but again, you know, like, like I said, we have a six two grade on him for a reason. We're thinking by year two, he's a guy that can you know stick around, be a quality backup at center and guard. So now he he's a guy that can be there to to possibly back up three you know three positions. Um, so it kind of, you know, probably fits best at center, obviously, but a guy that that's the type of guy you want to roster. We were just talking about a return only player. You want a, an offensive lineman who can play multiple positions. So that's a, a, the type of guy, if, if he go, you know, if everything goes well in terms of his development, I would be perfectly fine with having him on game days to kind of back up the interior line. Last pick, uh, the Broncos made, uh, I have not done a lot of work on Fayon Hicks yet, and I it was a seventh round pick, so he there's a decent chance he is going to be kind of like right on the bubble right from the go. Um, but again, this is one of those players where the consensus board was pretty low on him, the SIS board was pretty low on him in terms of like relative to a lot of the other players that were available at this point. Uh, I, he was the 44th ranked corner on the SIS board. He did get a five eight, uh, which means you know he has the potential to become an eventual number two. I know fans believe that he could be the developmental slot. I don't necessarily know based on again, reading the report and then kind of like looking around and seeing like what other people were saying about it too. I just developmental slot. My understanding was basically developmental slot. If he gets better with his zone spacing, his eyes, his tackling his, and it's just like the, the, the list started to get pretty long. Um, and at that point it's like, yeah, I hope, but I'm not going to count on it. Yeah, with with Hicks, like, you know, there's a reason why he was almost all the way at the bottom of our, uh, you know, our, our corner list there. Um, I, I agree with you. He is more of the slot mold. He's not a guy that's probably going to be able to hold up on the outside. Um, so, you know, I've mentioned this earlier. It doesn't hurt to, you know, double dip at, at the corner position, yeah. especially given the situation that they've been in and given that, you know, you just need more bodies at the corner position with, with the corner class that came out. Like it was a pretty good corner class in, in our estimation. So it doesn't hurt, but he's more of that probably number five type corner who can play a little bit of special teams. Again, another guy that isn't super big, so he's not going to be able to play, you know, everything, um, but he can help you a little bit. Um, you know, actually, you know, I, I think we, we may have missed one. Matt Henningsen was another. Oh, you know what we did, which I, I like him in terms of like, I do that's too. the other, I do too. the other Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin, uh, defender that they took right before that, like in terms of, of him, you know, another versatile guy, uh, likely a five tech type of player. So kind of that was versatility, but not the size, obviously, um, you know, not a big time pass rusher kind of, you know, same thing we talked about with him. Um, 
plays with a super high motor though, competes good in the run game, you know, near the top of a lot of our, our run metrics. Um, but yeah, Henningsen, I think was obviously the better of the Wisconsin picks, but in terms of like with Hicks, I, to me, I, I find it being a tough time of him actually making the roster. Don't hate him, you know, being on the practice squad, but uh, I would be surprised to be much more than that. So I'm mad at myself for missing Henningsen. Uh, I, I want to throw this out that I woke up at six this morning and I did not get a lot of sleep, but, uh, but no, with Henningsen, uh, I want I wanted to get your thoughts on him a little bit just because the athletic number, and again, this is one of those things where the RAS score probably created unrealistic expectations. Uh, first of all, he didn't run his 40 for the RAS. Um, whenever a guy skips a drill and people go really, really crazy on how high the RAS is, I always kind of look at it with a grain of salt just because it's like, well, he didn't, guys skip drills for a reason, generally. They, they don't do it just because. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the other thing is, Henningsen to me looks like he is a developmental, like, you know, if things go right, a developmental, like interior run defender. Uh, he's not necessarily a guy you're going to expect to become a gap shooting Aaron Donald type. And again, Aaron Donald obviously is a whole nother level, but, but I have seen some people kind of go out and say like, well, he has all this Twitch. He's going to be a great pass rusher. It's like the scouting report says he doesn't really have pass rush moves. So that seems unrealistic. Yeah, I mean the scouting report we saw, and then a lot of our metrics showed as well. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of the the pass rush stuff. He's near the bottom, and you can see the the run stuff. He's near the top, and I, I think that fits his game. Um, big, strong dude has a lot of functional strength, and then the the motor helps too. I I love guys that have high motors and and everything, but it, it's it's tricky though because those guys can fool you a little bit. Um, you know, high motor type of guys uh can can fool you in terms of like hey this guy doesn't really have good hand use or he doesn't have a good get off he just is you know relentless to the to the yeah. to the to the quarterback but but Henningsen's a guy that he his motor never stops and you know I, I think he he plays really well too there there's a lot to to work on obviously and like you said I am not expecting him to be a, a significant pass rusher at all but another guy that I think is versatile along the defensive line, you can move him around a little bit. And I think he's going to be able to plug holes because he's just a super strong dude. I want to talk, I want to get to the AFC stuff. Uh, so I, I'm not going to press you too hard on the drafted pool. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm keeping you too late too. So no, you're uh, good. I, these four guys, I watched all four of these guys um, for the, a, a little bit. I can give a couple sentences on each of these guys. That's fine. Cool. Uh, so I, I would say, the Broncos signed 13 undrafted free agents and four of them made the SIS board, which I think is better than last year. Uh, so that was good. Um, the one that I know fans are going pretty crazy about. And again, he got the biggest signing bonus was Chris Allen out of Alabama. Uh, he had two significant injuries, but the scouting report seemed pretty promising uh, with the assumption that he can get healthy. Yeah. I, he only played, I think 10 snaps this year before he got hurt. Um, but if you watch those 10 snaps, which I'm sure you have, like, super productive um both in the pass rush and uh, against the run i think he was a guy that was actually on my radar coming into the year and i was hoping to watch him and then all of a sudden you know 10 steps and he's done um but you know depending on the depth of of the current situation of the broncos i don't hate his chances of of making the the roster and a lot of it's going to hinge on you know the fact that he basically just missed an entire season and if, if the injury uh isn't that big of a concern but I think he has the tools, whether it's, you know, in, in Denver or somewhere else. I think he's got a, got the tools because to me, if he doesn't get hurt, he's probably at worst like a mid-round pick. I think he's got a lot of traits, a, a good skill set there um, to be a, a solid pass rusher uh, on the edge. 
Jaquan McMillan was a DB that the Broncos actually brought in for one of their pre, you know, their official 30 visits. So he's been on my radar ever since, just because, you know, even though those, those, those visits don't necessarily mean that the Broncos are going to draft those players. That means that they are definitely interested enough to at least fly them in. Uh, also, in terms of the the UDFA pool that the Broncos signed, he has the highest SIS grade. He has a 6.2. Yeah, so with him, obviously, the, the ball skills are the calling card for him. I don't If he doesn't have any ball skills, then I think we wouldn't really be talking about him too much, which, I mean, you could say that about a lot of people, but doesn't have a ton of size. Footwork isn't great, um, but he is super productive with the ball in the air. I think he, he tied for the lead in inter- interceptions this year. So he definitely can find the ball and make a play on it. I don't think he's going to hold up outside at corner. If, if he's going to play corner, he's going to be in the slot, but he's a little intriguing because I think with the ball skills and the range, I wouldn't hate like a move back to safety. Um, and now we, we've, you know, gone through the safety situation uh, with the Broncos. So it probably doesn't fit too much in Denver. Um, but if that were to happen, I think the fit could be there. And, and when we're talking about six, two, again, another versatile backup type of guy. So we're not saying this guy's a starter, but if he were to play corner and even transition back to safety, I think the skill set sort of fits both. Um, so I think he's an intriguing guy, but just a guy that, you know, is a little small, not going to really do a ton for special teams. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting sort of how he fits. Can I Mawaga? is interesting to me just because the Broncos brought in two undrafted free agent linebackers, their linebacker position. And again, Broncos fans are kind of split on this because quote unquote, like linebacker is not important. Like it's the running back of defense now. Uh, and the Broncos, there's some talk that the Broncos are going to try and run more five, like five, one than like a tr- the actual nickel that, you know, most people kind of expect when they see nickel, but the Broncos depth chart at linebacker, especially if they're going to keep Baron Browning at edge, it's pretty shaky. Uh, they have Josie Jewell, but after Josie Jewell, it's Jonas Griffith, who looked pretty promising in four games last year. And then Alex Singleton, who I have gone back and watched his tape. I'm not a big Alex Agnelton fan. Uh, I think he, he moves well and he's okay in zone, but he just, he can't, he can't shed blocks. Like it, basically if a body gets on him, he's done. Uh, and the Bucks really took advantage of that. And after him, you have Justin Cernod. And Justin Cernod looks so bad in the Cleveland game last year that I am surprised he's still on the roster. And again, I hope he improves enough, you know, to to make me eat my words. But that looked like probably one of the worst linebacker games I've seen in like two, three years. Uh, so to me, Mwanga has a, like a really legitimate chance to beat Cernod. And he ca- he got a 5.9 from you guys. Yeah, that's, you know, that top backup grade, you know, we feel that there's enough there to me. You know, I just watched a little bit of him. I didn't get a, yeah. uh, you know, a, a huge sense on him, but looks a little bit lost, you know, especially in coverage to me. So, you know, just needs to improve a little bit there, but moves around really well, really fluid, changes directions, you know, really well. Um, so I think there's enough there. And, and like you said, I think the biggest thing for him is he doesn't have a ton of, you know, a ton of people in front of him. Um, so I think he may have, you know, one of the better shots to the roster, just given the linebacker situation. So yeah, you know, I, again, I didn't watch a ton, but I think there's enough there and, you know, our scouts agreed as well, you know, the top backup type of guy, which, you know, whenever you're talking about a, a UDFA that it makes a lot of sense to bring a guy like that in. And then the last of the four UDFAs was Brandon Johnson. That surprised me just because I didn't know much about Brandon Johnson until I read your report. Uh, but the Broncos receiving room 
it's kind of weird just in the terms of like, you have the Broncos big three, obviously, and KJ Hamler, if he's healthy, probably makes it big four in terms of like those four are all safe. But after that, obviously Montreal Washington, uh, but other than Montreal Washington, you have Seth Williams, Tyree Cleveland, and kind of like at that point, it's a lot of guys, Kendall Hinton. And again, Kendall Hinton is in the hall of fame, but he's in the hall of fame as a quarterback. Uh, but, but George Payne has shown that he likes to carry something like eight receivers when you count the practice squad. So to me, Brandon Johnson probably has a legitimate chance to make it. Yeah. We gave him a five, eight, which is probably that number five receiver type, which again, fits, fits this team. Um, not you know a little bit bigger, not a big time separator. So whenever you're talking about receivers, obviously you want guys that can separate. So he's not that, but he, he's a pretty solid route runner. It's not bad. He's a, he's efficient and, and uh, somewhat precise, more of a possession type of receiver. Going to catch a lot of balls thrown his way, big body, good blocker. And I think he's going to be a guy who would come in and be a really core special teams type of player. Um, because of the physicality, the the big body, you know, again, you know, really good blocking. I think a, a guy like that translates really well to being a depth receiver who can contribute on a lot of different special teams. So, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I see there's a shot at being that number five. Obviously, you know, the thing with Washington still up in the air, but I, you know, I don't see a, a reason why maybe you don't put him on the practice squad at least for a year and try to see if you can develop something from him because I, you know, he's a guy that is that true number five that can kind of be that depth player while contributing on the special teams as well. And that's one of those things for all my complaints about Peyton with Washington. I do like the fact that he does try to have a few extra receivers on the practice squad to develop just because it's such an important position group in terms of you don't want to suddenly hit this point where all you have are the Montreal Washington's left. Um, and having like Seth Williams and having Tyree Cleveland, even if they're never world beaters, at least it's like, if you get like a COVID game and all of a sudden you're out of receivers, you have some guys, you at least know what they can do. Yeah, it definitely helps to have those types of guys. And you got to know your team as well as injury riddled as the, as the Broncos have been the last couple of years, it makes sense to, to try and keep a, a couple of extra guys around. So I, I think this, this pickup makes sense. And I think he's got a shot at least making the practice squad. So the last, and again, this is kind of for Broncos fans listening, this might be a little bit of a gut check just in terms of like, obviously the Broncos had a probably, I, I think one of the better off seasons, just because going from Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater to Russell Wilson, everything else was good, but that move in and of itself moves them up like a tear in my mind in terms of like, they're actually a contender now. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. They're not the only team in the AFC. Honestly, th there was a point this offseason where it just seemed like every single significant move was players coming from the NFC to the AFC. Uh, and then obviously a lot of the teams in the AFC had really strong drafts. Um, I was really, really impressed. Like, actually, I, I went and looked a lot of these guys up and all my favorite, like basically all my favorite drafts happened in the AFC other than the Eagles. And I would say that the Eagles are almost like my second team just because my brother is an Eagles fan. 
So I, I tend to follow them pretty closely just because then I bother him about it. And I thought they had a pretty good offseason. If you can, if you believe in Jalen Hurts, it was an okay offseason for them. But looking around the AFC, who stands out to you as having some of those like really, really strong offseasons that kind of jump out now as being kind of a contender because of it? Yeah, to me, I was kind of going through, you know, the 16 AFC teams. I would say there's 11 teams that have a real shot at making the playoffs and, you know, not discounting the other five, it's, but it's more of a long shot for those. And I'm, I'm sure most of us can figure out who, fi who those five probably are. But to me, you know, you're looking at the Raiders, the Ravens and the Browns, you know, obviously Broncos fans probably don't want to hear the, about the Raiders, you know, being in the division, but you add a guy like Devontae Adams who, you know, we can go back and forth on if you want to pay receivers but he's probably one of the top receivers so you know it makes sense plus you're you're pairing him with you know his his old teammate so i think the fit makes a lot of sense there and anthony averett um chandler jones i think they did a lot of good things on the defensive side of the ball um so they're bringing a lot of, of guys in there had a solid draft for not bringing in or not having a, a pick until late third round i think they had a pretty solid draft as well one thing too with the Ra uh, with the Raiders that I think a lot of fans are kind of sleeping on is trading Gus Bradley for Graham. I think is a big that's a big upgrade. Um, and again, I'm not trying to you know dog on Bradley too much, but Bradley was kind of predictable in terms of like how he uses his defense. Uh, and I think against top quarterbacks and top passing attacks, that did hurt the Raiders last year. Whereas Graham is probably one of the mo most mo and again you you may be able to speak to this better than me. But my experience watching Graham, just because, you know, the Broncos played the Giants for week one. So I watched a decent bit of Giants even before the season started. He's one of the more multiple defensive coordinators in the league. Like he will throw a lot at you. And now that the Raiders have Chandler Jones and they've made these moves, like he has the pieces to really do it where he didn't necessarily have the pass rushers on the Giants. Yeah, I think, I mean, you pair a guy like Chandler Jones with Max Crosby that that's a pretty big, you know, pass rush duo right there. And I, I mean, you could say that about almost the entire AFC West there. There's a lot of good talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball, especially at edge. Um, but yeah, I just think the Raiders, they did a lot. And, you know, I, you, obviously you had a little bit of turnover with the, the, the front office and everything. Um, so it, it makes some sense to, to sort of part ways, you know, going back to that 2019 draft class, all three of the first rounders did not get their fifth year option extended. So, um, you know, definitely, you know, changing the times there, but that's not to say that those, those three guys weren't good. Like they, they were pretty solid. Um, you know, Jonathan Abram was a solid piece. He just hurt all the time. So, um, you know, you add adding in those guys, uh, I think is, is going to really help the Raiders. And, you know, I talk about this all the time. The AFC West is, is a really good division. Um, it's really a toss up between, uh, you know, all four teams, honestly. I kind of feel like injury luck is going to end up being what decides who really emerges in the AFC West. And it's one of those things where on paper, it's easy to say, Oh, all of these teams look like they could win 10 games, but they do all look like they could potentially win 10 games. And I would say if a couple things balance each, each team's way, I could see each of them making it to like an AFC championship game. Like it doesn't seem outlandish. I think people, especially Broncos fans, I think Broncos fans sleep on the Raiders just because the Chiefs have been there forever now. Like that, you know, that's the team everyone's looking up to. The Chargers are everyone's darling at this point, just because Justin Herbert and everyone loves the Chargers. They get more national attention than I think they get from their local fans, which is kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, but but the Raiders are kind of slept on. But 
yes, I think Derek Carr might be the fourth quarter, like fourth quarterback in the AFC West, but at the same time, I think he's a top 12 quarterback. So it's not yeah. much of a slight. No, not at all. I, I've always liked Derek Carr. Like, you know, say what you want about him. Like, he's not that that big time threat, you know, like the Mahomes or the Herbert type, but he's just, he's methodical. I, I think he's he does enough. Um, and you know, there's a reason that he's been sticking around there. Like, he's, he's usually at the top of our, a lot of our metrics. And, and there's a reason for that. I think now that you kind of, you know, bring in Devonte Adams and bring some pieces in around him a little bit, I think that, you know, they, they really have a shot again, you know, they, they made it last year, but you know, they, they have a chance to stick around. I don't, I don't think that they were a one and done team. I also think McDaniels is a really good play caller. Uh, and I know like, I thought John Gruden was a pretty good play caller, but I think McDaniels with the weapons that he's going to have with the Raiders is pretty scary. Absolutely. One team, and I think we agree on this. Uh, my favorite team, honestly, outside of Denver, in terms of the offseason, I love the Ravens offseason. Like, I hate that I love the, the Ravens offseason, but honestly, I don't think any team really jumped out to me the same way Baltimore did, just top to bottom. Yeah, it's, you know, they lost a lot of talent, you know, whenever you're looking at a total points aspect. You know, again, Averett, we just talked about going to, to Vegas. Bradley Bozeman, Alejandro Villanueva, Calais Campbell, those types of guys. But they just draft so well and and they bring in so many pieces all of the, the you know through you look out throughout their entirety of the draft they had i think 11 picks they got three of our top players at the position at their specific position safety they got Kyle Hamilton at 14 um Tyler Linderbaum at center and then Isaiah Likely at tight end which i'm pretty sure they have about 10 tight ends on the roster right now uh, just something that they obviously love to do but they also went out and got David Ojabo too. Like I feel like that roster was one of the better rosters to get Ojabo because you don't really need him this year. You're going to redshirt him anyway. Um, so whenever he comes out and you're looking at 2023, you're going to have him paired with all of those other guys on the roster. I just think every year the Ravens they don't make like a bunch of splash plays all the time in in the in free agency but when it comes to the draft they're always just getting the best talent that that falls to them on every single pick um so yeah I think they had a really good draft and I think they've they've done pretty well obviously one of the better teams in the AFC already um but I don't think they're going anywhere because I think they were able to to restock what they lost well and one of the other things too and Ajabo was basically my favorite player in this draft before he got hurt uh, just in terms of like my personal favorite, probably. Uh, I love that kind of player to begin with. And then he went to Michigan. I'm a Michigan fan. So, and then I just, I, I just really liked his breakout this year. He was somebody I watched on broadcast. And then I went back and studied quite a bit. The big knock on him was the fact that he's raw um, and on a Ravens defense. And again, like, yes, they're changing coordinators, but if they're, if they're running a similar system to what they've run before, they scheme up pressure quite a bit which kind of mitigates your concerns as he's figuring it out to an extent, obviously. So I, I do think that down the road, he's going to look like a steal if he can get back to what he showed before the injury. Yeah, absolutely. He was, you know, I, I watched him. I gave him a six, six grade. I didn't go that, that six, seven level because again, with the rawness and with, you look at the metrics, he's not great against the run because he yeah. doesn't have a lot of strength or, or girth on him, which, you know, you're going to have to give it a couple of years, but you're, you're basically redshirting him anyway. So that is going to help with the, you know, actually, you know, the building of, of his body and his frame, but there's no doubting his, his pass rush ability, his, him coming in, even if you were to come in and play this year, him coming in and being an eight to 10 sack guy, just playing as basically a situational pass rusher 
is definitely something that that could have happened. Yep. Um. So his his uh you know bend and athleticism and, and everything around the edge is is ridiculous, and I think Baltimore is a perfect fit for him. I do too, and I hate again. I I say I hate it because I love the pick, but I hate I hated the Kyle Ham. I I hated that the NFL overthought Kyle Hamilton to the fact that he slid to Baltimore because yep. of all the teams to draft him in the AFC, that was probably the worst landing spot for everyone else in the AFC. Yeah, it's like you know again you know Hamilton, Linderbaum, all these guys just like you know all right, you guys are going to pass on him. We'll like, we'll, we'll gladly take him. Like that's just seems, what seems to happen with Baltimore every single year. So, I mean, that's, that's why they're playing well. Um, And then I, and the one, one, I, and again, I, I know I'm getting stuck on this, the Hollywood Brown trade. I, I, I do. I understand the people who are down on this because they gave away a receiver, but at the same time, Lamar Jackson does prioritize the middle of the field in a way that I think drafting the tight ends, like you said, like they have a million tight ends, but they have the one quarterback where it makes sense to prioritize tight end like they do. And Hollywood Brown, the fact that, what did he have? He had 195 passes. He caught 195 passes for 2,361 yards and 21 touchdowns. And they turned that into another first rounder by moving a third rounder. I just like, those are kind of like, those are chess moves that like, I wish every other team would not let Baltimore do. Um, yeah, it seems like they're they're going to be running thirteen personnel, maybe eighty percent of the time this year. But again, yeah, like you said, Lamar prioritizes the middle of the field, and and basically Isaiah Likely and, and Charlie Kohler are guys that they're basically receivers anyway. So I mean, it's not like these guys are going to come in and and be playing in line all the time. They're probably going to be split out and, and playing in the slot a lot. So you know, these guys these moves made sense. If you're going to bring a lot of tight ends on the roster, at least have some some variety of of you know some guys that are going to be able to block and guys who are who are going to be out, uh, you know, catching passes, which are, these guys will be. Does anyone else jump out to you as having like really, really strong off seasons? I, mean, I, I don't think we can go without talking about the Browns. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson, huge pickup there. Um, yeah. You know, I think there was a lot of turmoil whenever you looked at that, that locker room last year, the whole Odell situation. Now you got the Baker situation, but they still had some pretty good talent. Like they made the playoffs the year before. And I think if they didn't have all those, you know, those issues, they had a good shot at possibly making it again last year. But the roster isn't that bad. Whenever you look at the construction, uh, the construction of the roster around Deshaun, it's really not bad. They also brought in Amari Cooper. You have Nick Chubb, who's one of the better running backs in in the backfield there as well. And if you look at the entire roster as well, it's it's young, so it's it's not a you know, a very old roster. So even if they aren't making it this year, they're going to be really close. And they're going to be a team who's who's going to be competing probably for the next two or three at least. Um, so I like what they did there. You know, a few questionable picks in the, in the draft, especially early on. Martin Emerson, we had him rate, rated really low. He was their first pick in the third round. But well, I was just going to say, rumor was the Broncos were actually going to try and trade up to grab him. I was so glad that the Browns took him before <laughs> the Broncos could. Yeah, Emerson, like. You know, there's some traits there, you know, good size and everything, but we, we had him him pretty low. But, you know, you look at some of the other picks, Alex Wright, super uh, another super raw edge rusher who I think tops a lot of our, our metrics in terms of pass rushing. David Bell, a, a really productive receiver coming out of the out of uh, the Big Ten. Perry and Winfrey, we've talked about a little bit. You know, there was talk uh, about him, you know, possibly being a little bit higher than that. And, you know, the, the senior bowl he had was incredible. Um, I, I just don't think it matched with the tape uh, as much. And then Isaiah Thomas, I think another guy we talked about, both of those guys out of Oklahoma, uh, another versatile guy. So 
I think they have a lot of good pieces and and they're still really young. So I think if they all develop pretty, pretty well, and now you, you bring in a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, I think they're going to be competing at least for a few years now. Agreed. Is there anybody who jumps out to you as having like a, like a decent fall off? Um, and, and I, and I know when I first asked you this, like when I sent you the email, I said significant and I, and I know significant is probably maybe overdoing it, but I do think like, for example, the Steelers, I think the Steelers upgraded a quarterback because Ben by last year was just completely done. Like it was, it was worse than zombie Manning in my mind. Um, but their roster as a whole outside of like TJ Watt, it seems like their roster is just getting kind of older and like more creaky. So to me, they seem as like a team that's like moving a little bit farther away, even if they upgraded a quarterback. Um, but does anyone jump out to you? Yeah, I think the Steelers were, are one that come to mind. Uh, to me, I think the Titans. Uh, yeah, that's I love the I love the Traylon Burks uh, pick. I, he was our number one Raider, Raider receiver. He's, I think he's really good. And, you know, you can argue like A.J. Brown is really good, but you ship him out. And again, you can argue Traylon Burks is basically a younger version of A.J. Brown, um, or at least you're hoping that. Um, but I think the biggest piece is just not that sold on Ryan Tannehill. And I don't think I have been for a while now. I think he's a solid guy that can come in and, and he feels like that Jimmy Garoppolo type where, yep. you know, he can be, um, you know, methodical and he can be that game manager and kind of move you down the field. But I don't think he's the guy who's going to come in and just like, wow you. So I think it was very interesting that they, they went out and drafted Malik Willis. Um, you know, I don't think Willis is going to take his job or anything this year. Um, but I'm just, I think there's some holes there and you look at the offensive line as well. Like I like Taylor Lawana, I like Nate Davis, but they have some holes and, and not a ton of depth there. So, you know, a couple guys go down. I think they're really going to be hurting on offense. So I, I like some of the players that they have. I like some of the picks that they made. Um, but I could definitely see the Titans being maybe a team that, that takes a little bit of a step back this year. Well, and they're also a team that as they've lost coordinators, like over the last couple of years. And again, kudos to Vrabel for kind of like keeping them on track. But I feel like the cracks have shown, like losing their coordinators has shown up on both sides production. And now you have Henry who, first of all, he had a significant injury last year, came back. Yeah, he came back, but he's also another guy who's in that Melvin Gordon tier of, he has hit 1500 carries and yes, like maybe he's an outlier, but you're, I wouldn't bet on him. I don't bet on players being an outlier. I would rather be wrong because he was an outlier than expect him to be, if that makes sense. And Henry's at the end and according to, you know, the numbers and stuff. So it's maybe a year or two, but I, I do think that this is kind of like the end of a window for them. And if they're lucky, Malik Willis will kind of like help ease the pain, you know, a year or two down the road. But I, I understand why they signed Tannehill and Henry when they did, because like, you know, they had like the surge, but it always kind of seemed like, things have to go their way for them to really capitalize on this with a Super Bowl, and they haven't. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely agree. It's Yeah, I, like I said, you know, they have some good players and they have some guys, you know, uh, kind of a, a strong core that they can build around. But, you know, when you're talking about an aging running back and you're talking about a quarterback that maybe doesn't have it, that's it's almost something we've talked about with the, with Broncos last couple of years. So, yeah. um yeah, it's it's something that is kind of up in the air and, and you're a couple injuries away of, from, you know, being kind of in that middle tier. So one last thing before I let you go, because I know it kept you forever. 
who who had your what was your favorite pick in the draft that was not Denver? Just because we talked about every single one of Denver's picks. Although you can you can say also a Denver pick if you want cuz I'm sure listeners will appreciate it, but but oh, let's let's see here. Um I will say let me start with with uh being a Homer and being a Lions fan that I w- I love that Aiden Hutchinson got to to number 2. So I will say um that's one of my favorite ones because I was hoping that that was going to happen. Um, so I'd have to go with that. I love the lion's draft. I love what they're doing. Um, so I'm happy about that. Um, outside of that, in you, terms of, you weren't mad. They traded with, uh, the Vikings. I know some, I, I live in Michigan, so I have some lions fans, friends who were salty that they traded in division. I thought it was smart. I, I think they got more value than Minnesota did. I, <laughs> I yeah. mean, I think Minnesota was on the wrong end of trading with Detroit and green Bay both times. Um, so I, I mean, maybe they took advantage of a young GM, I guess, but I, y- you can argue that, you know, being a, you know, the, the roster that Detroit currently has that trading up, isn't the best thing because you just, you need talent. So just take as many guys as you can, but you know, they need playmakers. And it, I would have been very upset if they would have traded up for like a, one of the quarterbacks, or if they would have traded up for an offensive lineman or a, a defensive lineman or something like that. But the fact that they went up and they got arguably one of the best receivers in the class, it made sense. Yeah. Um, you know, you probably weren't going to get that at 32 and at least you're going, you paired Aiden Hutchinson with a guy who is basically the same on the offensive side of the ball. So now you at least got two like absolute playmakers, uh, you know, out of this class out of it. And the biggest thing too, they didn't have to give up a first round pick next year. They literally yep. basically just f- swapped like second round picks and, and threw in a third or something. Um, so I would have been, again, I would have been a little hesitant if they threw in uh, a first rounder next year, but the, the fact that that's all it was a hundred percent, I'll go up and, and jump up 20 spots to be able to grab arguably the best receiver. And I think I saw something too, Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes were, we're ready to give up a first rounder next year. And they did not ask for that. So um, it's very interesting uh, looking back on it, but yeah, you know, enough talk about the lions, but that, that obviously was, um, you know, one of my favorite, uh, you know, drafts in general, but I, I really liked those picks. Um, I probably would go with, you know, if we're looking at the second round, um, maybe a guy like, I was a big George Pickens fan. Um, okay. I I thought there was a chance that he could go late in the first round. I I mocked him more in the middle of the second round. I think I had him just a few spots ahead of where he actually went. But I think I, I just love his overall game. Um, it's one. Th- it's tough whenever you're looking at bigger receivers. You're like, okay, does can this guy separate? You're looking at that for every receiver. But for bigger receivers, you have to be careful because you have these guys who don't really separate, but maybe they just box out guys or they're good high point guys. But for me, George Pickens can separate. He's a guy that runs really well. He can separate down the field. He can separate as a route runner. Now, he granted, he has to improve as a route runner because over 50% of his routes were basically just curls or goes. Mm -hmm. So he needs to do a lot more. And I think some of that, too, is, you know, he's been injured. He hasn't really played a ton. But I love the physicality too. He's super physical. He seeks out guys to go block, and he has a large catch radius and, and and kind of you know can basically catch everything that's thrown his way. So you know we talked about the Steelers you know downgrading a little bit. I think Pickens coming in 
is going to be a huge help for for Kenny Pickett um, because you know you lost Juju as well. Um, I think they lost James Washington as well too. But you know Pickens coming in, uh, you know having him opposite of Claypool. I love Deontay Johnson in the slot. I, I don't think that that's a terrible receiver room right now. So I think that's a spot that Pickens can kind of ease himself in a little bit and not really be thrust in um, because I don't, I wouldn't expect the, the Steelers to be, you know, immediate contenders and, and be expected that. But, you know, on the other hand, uh, you know, if they're downgrading, their window is, is slowly, uh, you know, deteriorating a little bit, but you're hoping that that picket can kind of pick that up a little. Um, but I, I like the value of, of Pickens being a six, eight guy that we had graded, um, you know, being in the middle of the second round to the Steelers. I, I, I kind of lied, but last, last thing, do the Broncos need to make the playoffs for year one of the Russell Wilson era to be a success? Probably. If you're talking to all the fans, I would say yes. Um, I, you definitely have to take a, a, a gigantic step forward. Uh, I don't think you can be a 500 team. Yeah. If you, you know, if you go 11 and six or, you know, 12 and five, and all of a sudden, you know, for some weird reason, you don't make the playoffs. Like, I, I don't think it's a yeah. complete loss, but you have to be better than 500 for sure. Um, you have to be in the mix for, for making a, uh, a, the playoffs. And, you know, we've talked about it a ton. The AFC West is very competitive. It's probably the best division in football. It's going to be hard to win that division um, in any of the teams. Like you can talk about the chiefs as well. It's going to be hard for the chiefs to win the division um, because the, the entire division is so good. So I don't think I would come out and just expect like, Hey, yes, you need to win the division, but there's a very good opportunity for them to get into the playoffs. Uh, and I think if you're not making the playoffs or at least not right on the cusp of it, uh, it's, it's a very large loss um, and, and very uh, upsetting, um, you know, in, in terms of Broncos country. Great. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting year. You know, I, I'm always a little bummed after the draft because all the buildup is uh, you know for that, and I always love the draft. But uh, now the the roster construction is a little bit complete. We can see how everyone does and and kind of look back on it now. I always struggle going from like the pre-draft, like I'm actually paying attention, to, like what is the team gonna do? What what do I think of these prospects? Who a rookie signed a contract and we're, we're supposed to be, you know, like the way it's kind of announced, it's like, you're, you're just as amped and they they're predetermined contracts. Like yeah. this isn't news really. Like it's a big deal if a guy holds out, but, but For no, sure. I, but I love doing the post draft stuff. I really do appreciate you coming on guys. Again, if you do not follow Nathan on Twitter, go do it. He is at and draft. Go check out the sports info solutions. First of all, go check out your data hub because I, I, I reference that all the time. But go check out your guys' draft stuff. Go check out the team pages. Because, again, I am at a point now where I'm going to start doing what is Nathaniel Hackett actually bringing to the Broncos? And part of that is looking at your guys' data hub and seeing, well, he runs 12 personnel 33% of the time. And so you guys will be kind of ahead of me if you guys go check that out. So go do that. Yeah, I appreciate it. This was fun. Um, that, that website, nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com. Um, we're also hiring uh, for video scouts next year. So you can go check our check out our um, our website uh, at sportsinfosolutions.com there and uh, check out the application. But 
yeah, always fun. Always enjoy uh, talking a little ball and uh, having lived out in Denver before, um, you know, I'm a little familiar with the Broncos and like talking the Broncos. So this is always fun.